So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to my second podcast. My name is Ben, and uh, I have struggled with alcohol for more than 10 years. And a bit more than two years and a half ago, I finally decided to completely stop drinking alcohol. And I have to say, this has been one of the single most important decisions I have made in my life so far. So if by sharing my own experience and my own struggles, um, I get to help at least one person, then uh, my mission is accomplished. And um, here today, I actually have a very, very special guest with me. And uh, in order to introduce him properly, I actually have to read this so I don't miss anything. So he's a speaker, journalist, and a former ESPN Sports Center anchor and a Hollywood correspondent. Creator of blue light blocking glasses, Swanis, uh, and now I would say most recognized as an entrepreneur who helps uh, casual drinkers reduce or quit alcohol with his programs 30 Day No Alcohol Challenge and Project 90. James Swanwick, welcome to my podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for, for being here. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to having this uh, discussion with you. Amazing, so, let's do it. All right, uh, first things first, I'm actually just curious, where are you actually based? I'm based in Medellin, Colombia most of the time, but I've been um, living most of the last five years between Venice Beach, California, Bali, Indonesia, and Medellin, Colombia. Mm, okay, that's very interesting. What would you say is like the, the single best thing about uh, living in Colombia? Well, it's on an East Coast time zone. So I like to do my business uh, in America from Colombia. The cost of living is about five times less. It's the city of eternal spring is what they say about Medellin. It's always springtime. It's only a couple of hours flight from Miami. Uh, I'm still learning Spanish, trying to perfect it. So it's great to be in a Spanish speaking country. I've got a lot of friends here. I'm, uh, you know, my businesses are all virtual. I can run them from anywhere. They're all online. There's no location dependent parts mm -hmm. of my business. So if I've got a choice, I'd like to live in those places that I like to live as opposed to have to live in a place because of you know, I've got a storefront, for example, or a business that requires that I am in, in a certain location. So all of those things combined makes me really love being based in Medellin, Colombia, most of the year. Okay. Very interesting. I actually never been, but um, some of my friends uh, went there a couple of times and uh, they definitely recommend me to visit it. So it's that definitely on my <laughs> to visit to do list, let's say. Um, so if we jump straight into the uh, to the main conversation of this podcast, um, I mean, I'm aware that a lot of your um, audience and your followers already kind of know your your background story when it comes to alcohol. But just for anyone that uh, is maybe hearing about you for, for the first time right now, could you just please explain a bit uh, how your journey with alcohol started in potentially in your youth? Mm. How did it progress uh, during your mm. adult life? And what was the actual uh, moment when you decided to completely stop drinking alcohol? Well, I grew up in an Australian drinking culture. 
And I was a socially acceptable drinker in that I would probably have two or three drinks per night during the week and more on the weekends. But I was rarely, if ever, getting drunk. And I didn't really feel like it was a problem because everyone around me in the culture was like, oh, yeah, you just have a couple of glasses of wine at the end of the day or a couple of beers. And friends would say, let's meet up and have a couple of drinks. And it would just be very casual. And so I did that for years. And then I got to the age of 35 and I woke up one morning and I looked in the mirror and I realized that I'd put on about 20, 25 pounds. I wasn't sleeping great. I was feeling tired and lethargic and foggy and I was irritable and my habits were a little sloppy. And I recognized it was because of this very consistent drinking habit. Now, again, I wasn't getting arrested. I wasn't waking up in a ditch. I wasn't doing many, if any, embarrassing things. I was just drinking the way that society would tell you that it's okay to drink. But I realized it was really holding me back. And so in 2010, when I was 35 years old, I just committed to taking a 30-day break from alcohol as an experiment to see what would happen. And in 30 days, I lost 13 pounds. Oh, wow. I slept better. I was more productive. I had an opportunity to audition to become a television anchor on a TV show and I got the job and I credit the clarity and focus and energy that I had generated from being alcohol free to helping me get that job. Okay. The quality of my relationships improved. And I just thought, wow, this is something pretty amazing. I just get rid of this toxin. I stopped drinking this attractively packaged poison that we call alcohol mm -hmm. and all areas of my life seemingly transformed for the better. So I thought, well, I'll just keep going and see how long I can go. And I got to one year and I was, I went to a bar and I went to order a, a Bud Light to celebrate one year alcohol free. And at the end, just before I put the beer to my mouth, I thought, well, hang on a second. In one year, I've made more money. I look better. I've got higher caliber relationships. Yeah. I feel better. I've got more joy, more clarity, more focus. I'm calmer. Why am I going to take this sip? So I handed the beer back to the barman and I haven't picked up an alcoholic drink since, since 2010. Okay. That's very interesting. So um, you mentioned that just uh, right after you basically decided to, to stop, um, you had an audition for your uh, sports anchor job, right? But um, so while you were being the, the sports center anchor and the Hollywood correspondent, you were already alcohol free during that time? I was alcohol free in March of 2010 and I got the job on sports center in May of 2010. So within mm. two months of stopping drinking alcohol, I landed that job. And again, that was because... I really went for that audition. Like I had clarity and focus and strategy and I was on top of my game. I wasn't irritable. I looked good because I'd lost some weight and, you know, I was feeling good and confident. And I really credit that feeling to helping me get that job. Mm. Yeah, I understand. I understand. But I would say the majority of people have this perception that um, in that side of the business, like the showmanship business that you were uh, maybe working in, there's like a lot of alcohol behind the, se behind the scenes. Was that the case for you as well? Uh, and I mean, how did you deal with that, given the fact that you just stopped drinking? Mm. 
Yeah, well, before 2010, when I was drinking, I would go to many Hollywood Hills parties. I was living in Hollywood, California at the time. I went to the Oscars parties and the Golden Globes parties and the MTV Movie Awards parties. I went to the Playboy Mansion and I drank alcohol. And all of these parties had open bars and I was drinking at them pre-2010. And then I stopped drinking in 2010 and in 2011 and 12, I still went to the post Oscars parties and the Golden Globes parties and the MTV movie awards and all of those kind of things. But now I went alcohol free. And despite yeah. there being open bars, I just went up to the bar confidently and ordered soda, water, ice, and a piece of lime. I remember being at the Playboy Mansion for a second time, I think in 2012, open bars, much alcohol as you want to drink. And I remember just ordering my soda water ice and a piece of lime, still dancing on tables, still went for a swim in the grotto, uh, still marveled at all the uh, interesting people, women, men that were there, movie stars that were there. And I just had a much better time yeah. being alcohol free than when I was drinking alcohol. And on this occasion, I got to remember it and experience it and take it in. And when I woke up the next day, I got to go, oh, wow, that was amazing. That was so much fun because I'd had a great night's sleep and I had clarity and I wasn't lamenting possibly stupid decisions that I'd made the night before or embarrassing conversations. Yeah. So I just found that being alcohol free and being at these glamorous, somewhat hedonistic parties was just far superior to the experience of when I was drinking at those parties. And I just thought, wow, this is amazing. I can have a better time without alcohol. I'm going to do more of this. Mm -hmm. yeah i can i can definitely relate to to what you said uh because many times when i go out right now and i'm alcohol free uh sometimes people are even surprised that i'm not drinking because i'm enjoying myself so much and i'm in this like kind of social flow uh so for me it's a huge compliment that people are like wait you're not drinking i thought you were kind of drunk right now um <laughs> so i would say that's a that's a good thing but I'm curious to hear if maybe at the beginning, just when you stopped drinking, um, if you had like any social anxiety before going to these events, because for myself, uh, I would say right now I'm way more calm and relaxed and outgoing when I when I go there because I'm a bit used to it. But at the beginning, uh, I, I guess it was not the case, right? So did you have the similar experience or was it quite easy for you from the get go? When I first stopped drinking alcohol, I was self-conscious and okay. I was thinking, what are people going to think? Are people going to think I'm an alcoholic? Are people going to chastise me? And in fact, I remember in the first week that I stopped drinking, I had a date with this lovely woman named Andrea. And I met her at the Jones Bar on Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood on a Tuesday night. And I got to the bar 10 minutes before she arrived and I asked the bartender if he would pretend to make me vodka sodas, even <laughs> though I was requesting just soda water, right? Yeah. Uh, because I was actually embarrassed to share with my date that I wasn't drinking. I thought, well, that's going to be awkward. Mm -hmm. And so Andrea showed up at the bar and, you know, she ordered wine and I ordered quote unquote vodka sodas, even though it was actually just soda water mm -hmm. because they had this arrangement and this deal with the bartender. And she didn't realize that I wasn't drinking alcohol. But a few weeks later, it came out um, because one of her friends said, oh, James, you want me to get, get you a drink? And I said, oh, no, I haven't drunk in like three or four weeks. 
And Andrea said, yes, you have. You drank on our first date. And I went, oh, no, actually, I just drank soda water. And she said, what? <laughs> so you pretended to drink vodka sodas? And I said, yeah. And she was really upset with me. She <laughs> thought that I'd misled her and lied to her, which in theory I did, you know. Yeah. And that was a good lesson for me. It's like, just be upfront about it. You don't need to hide it. You don't need to lie. You don't need to mislead. Just confidently say, I'm not drinking. And that's often perfectly fine people don't really care if you're not drinking they just care if you're not having a good time not drinking exactly so yeah there was that initial awkwardness and then when i went out with some friends to a bar and i told them i wasn't drinking some of them gave me a little bit of friendly kind of ribbing i guess you'd say one friend yeah. um secretly put vodka in my drink and handed it to me and just as i was about to sip i looked at him and he had this guilty grin on his face and i asked him did you put alcohol in this and he went oh yeah i did and I just turned to him and I said, oh, you're an idiot. And I gave the drink back. And, um, you know, that was an interesting experience because I was surprised at how my friends really wanted to trick me. Well, some friends wanted to trick me into drinking. And I thought, isn't that ridiculous as well? But then after a few weeks, I got confident with how I was feeling and I got confident sharing with others that I wasn't drinking. And they just learned to accept it. And then they stopped encouraging me to drink and most of them didn't really even care and then after that i just felt supremely confident about going out and being alcohol free in any situation yeah yeah i guess the initial stages uh, when you stop drinking are a bit hard and i can definitely relate to that but it's also quite funny that um i had a lot of experiences like yourself that people would kind of like encourage me oh why you're not drinking like just have one just have one and uh like you mentioned at the beginning it's just like a, an attractively packaged poison right and it's um a bit ridiculous that society um has this inclination to even drink about drink it right um so i'm curious to to hear if you look back at your past when you were still drinking what were some of the old beliefs you had uh, about alcohol that kept you drinking and drinking or were you maybe not thinking about these things at, at that time when I was drinking, I thought drinking was cool. I thought drinking helped me in social situations. I thought that it helped me to relax. I thought it was necessary to create romance on a date. I thought it was necessary to do a business deal. I thought it was necessary to entertain my clients. I thought it was necessary to relax at the end of the day. I was wrong. I was 100% wrong all the time. It wasn't necessary. And as soon as I removed the alcohol and I got some experience being alcohol free, I realized that I was able to relax at the end of the day without it. I was able to create romance without alcohol. I was able to do business deals without alcohol. I was able to, I was able to entertain clients without alcohol. I was able to do all of these things without alcohol and most importantly, without the consequences of alcohol. So I mistakenly believed that I needed the alcohol to create connection and friendships and to bond with friends mm -hmm. or colleagues or staff or family members. I was wrong. I didn't need alcohol at all. I just got to create a great bond and great friendships with friends and 
colleagues and staff. And I did it all alcohol free. Yeah. Would you say with some of your friends from, from the past, let's say, that you were initially drinking buddies, uh, are you still friends with some of these old drinking buddies or with a lot of them you just kind of stop hanging out because you don't have this uh, common thing called alcohol? Or what's the story here? I'm still friends with my old drinking buddies. I just don't see them very often these days. Okay. I've tended to gravitate towards a different group of friends. Um, so, But we still stay in touch. We still say hello, but our interests have changed. Mm -hmm. I'm now more into health and fitness and mindset and personal development. And I've gone along that path. And so I just naturally attract more of that type of person into my life. And I'm more attracted to that type of person. And my friends, my old drinking buddies are just doing what they're doing, whatever they're doing. And they're attracting into their life, the type of people that they want to spend time with. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing bad about that. Sometimes people drift apart. They're still my buddies, but I don't see them as often. And when I do, either we're not drinking at all or they're drinking and I'm not drinking and it's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's very, very good to hear. And um, yeah, it's also funny how you mentioned, um, I realized that since I stopped drinking alcohol, it's just kind of like a natural process that I'm attracted attracting more people in my life that also do not drink especially i noticed that with uh, women and it's not something that i'm actually like really intentionally uh, filtering when i'm getting to to know them but uh, it's just like a natural process um which is which is very interesting so we discussed a bit about um like socializing without alcohol and uh, the initial stages of like being a bit like anxious and and fearful but then getting used to it and actually enjoying the social situations even more without alcohol but what about um dealing with stress um because if i look at if i'm talking with a lot of people the two major um let's say reasons that they drink is firstly to be able to socialize better and uh, to be able to deal with stress, for example, coming uh, to, to, to home after work and having a drink. Um, was there this something that you were using alcohol for as well? And uh, how did you then learn to deal and manage stress afterwards when you, when you decided to stop drinking? Yeah, so I used to drink to manage my stress and anxiety until I realized when I stopped drinking that drinking was actually creating much of my stress and anxiety. The irony is is that we drink to reduce stress and anxiety that drinking is actually creating. <laughs> yeah. And we get stuck in this vicious cycle. So when I became aware of that and I stopped drinking, what I found was that I was not nearly as stressed or anxious because I'd removed this attractively packaged poison and its toxins from my body. And therefore I was sleeping considerably better and I felt calmer and I felt more relaxed. So I didn't end up feeling nearly as much stress and anxiety when I wasn't drinking compared to when I was. So that was the first thing. And mm -hmm. then as I became alcohol free and I started to learn new modalities in life about health and fitness and mindset, 
I started to realize the importance of daily exercise, exposing myself to daily morning sunlight, drinking uh, more than an adequate amount of water every day. Um, I learned uh, the practice of gratitude. I implemented a daily 20 gratitude exercise, which is writing down 20 things that I'm grateful for every morning. And what that does is it activates something in our brain called the RAS, which is the reticular activating system. And when you write down 20 things that you're grateful for every day, it trains the mind to now throughout the remainder of the day, seek and see evidence of other things to be grateful for. And so when you're in a mindset of appreciation instead of expectation stress and anxiety just naturally starts to fall away yeah and so then as stress and anxiety naturally falls away so does your craving for alcohol the craving for alcohol starts to naturally fall away so a combination of very healthy habits including drinking lots of water exposing myself to morning sunlight writing down 20 things i'm grateful for Every day, consistent exercise, positive mindset, in addition to some personal development programs that I enrolled myself in, all of those things reduced my stress and anxiety, which allowed me not to have a craving for alcohol in the first place. And I just started to feel so much more calmer and more relaxed where alcohol wasn't necessary. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting uh, and um, yeah I experienced that as well I mean also when you stop drinking you you have so much more time uh, so um, you can also better allocate the time to these daily practices uh, but I'm just interested to know uh, you mentioned that with the daily healthy routine and healthy habits your kind of cravings almost completely decreased um, but do you still get any cravings in any kind of situation? Um, let's say if, if you look back at the past year of your life. I've probably had two, maybe three cravings for alcohol in the last 10 years. I remember okay. I was on Bondi beach in Sydney, Australia, and it was a Sunday afternoon and it was about five o'clock and it was summertime and the sun was setting. And we met up with some friends and we were in a restaurant or a bar right on one end of Bondi beach. And it was called the RSL, the retired servicemen's league. And they freeze their pint glasses. So they put their pint glasses in a freezer. So when you order a beer, they'll pull an ice cold glass out of the freezer and then they'll pour the beer into the glass and it makes this beautiful crackling sound. And then you hold the beer and it's nice and cold. Yeah. And then, you know, you sit out and you look over this magical view in Sydney, Australia, and you drink this beer. And I was with friends and at that stage I was probably six or seven years alcohol free. And I went, <clears throat> excuse me, I went to the bar to order myself a soda water and also get a couple of my friends a beer and I watched them pour this beer and they handed me the three drinks and I paid for it and I walked back to this balcony where we're overlooking Bondi Beach and I kind of as I was handing the beer over to one of my friends I thought oh, let me just have a smell of this and I just kind of smelt it and I was like oh I could smell the beer and I thought oh geez I could smash this beer right now it'd be nice to just down this beer 
because of the yeah. ice cold glass and the smell of the beer and it's a Sunday afternoon and the sun's setting in Bondi beach and I'm with my friends and it's like, oh, geez, geez, I could drink this beer right now and that it would taste good. And that feeling lasted about five to 10 seconds. Okay. And then I handed the beer over to my friend and then I picked up my soda water ice and a piece of lime and I drank that. And then the feeling was gone. And I just went back to like feeling really grateful and terrific that I was with my friends looking over at this magical view and I was alcohol free and feeling great and terrific and knowing that I was going to sleep really well that night because I hadn't drunk and that I was going to wake up the next day feeling really energetic and clear because I hadn't drunk and it just felt really good. So it was, you know, it was like a five to 10 second feeling where I remembered, you know, that feeling of, of anticipation before having a drink, mm -hmm. but then it was gone. And, uh, I haven't really, I don't think, craved a drink since. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, it's very interesting. Uh, sometimes when I get a craving, also for me, it's 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 very sh short, uh, short time based. But uh, when I look back, sometimes I feel, you know, that couple of seconds before you actually have a sip of your first beer, it's probably the most exciting part of then drinking the whole night because it's kind of like you're entering into this zone of being like completely free and uh, you don't care about any like social boundaries, etc. So um, I feel like, yeah, if you're able to get past through that craving, then I mean, you're good to go because everything else is so much way better in life without alcohol. So, um, yeah, really good. So before you mentioned a lot of like uh, daily uh, healthy habits that you do. So let's say we're talking right now with a person who has just decided to stop drinking alcohol and uh, he or she don't have any healthy habits in place. If you could recommend to start with just one habit, uh, what would that be? Is the question healthy habits on how to stop drinking alcohol or, or just, just the addition of healthy habits? Uh, it's just the addition. So let's say the person already stopped drinking alcohol, but mm. now they just want to implement some more healthy habits. What would be that mm. wonky habit for you if you could choose one? Yeah. So if you've stopped drinking alcohol and you're wanting to implement some new healthy habits, the best thing I would suggest is to live a life of appreciation versus a life of expectation. And the simplest way to do that is to write down 20 things that you are grateful for each and every day. What that does, as I said, is it activates the reticular activating system. And now throughout the remainder of the day, you will just naturally start to see more evidence of things to be grateful for. Now, what I do is I create a little rule in my life, which is my hand is not allowed to touch my cell phone in the morning until I have completed my daily 20 gratitudes. Okay. Now, most people, when they wake up, they want to touch their phone. They want to start scrolling, right? Yeah. Myself included, I want to, but I've gamified it now. So when I wake up, I wake up to a little $5 alarm clock. It's not the alarm in my phone. Mm -hmm. That way I put the, I hit the alarm. Uh, I still haven't touched my phone. I then get up, I use the bathroom, I then get my journal and I write down 
my daily 20, 20 things that I'm grateful for. And this is training my mind first thing in the morning. What am I grateful for? I'm grateful for the sleep that I had. I'm grateful for being in this home. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my clients. I'm grateful that I get to be interviewed on a podcast and talk about sleep and alcohol and gratitude. I'm grateful for my parents. I'm grateful. For, and I just keep writing these things down until I get to 20. And then once I complete the 20, then I'm allowed to go to my phone, turn it off, airplane mode and start to scroll in the phone, whatever I'm going to do, whether it's Instagram or catch up on work emails or reply to WhatsApp messages. That is a great daily practice to ensure that I am in gratitude and appreciation every day. And it is a habit that I have created because I know that it is going to reduce my stress and anxiety. It's going to ensure that I don't crave something like alcohol. Mm -hmm. And it's going to ensure that I have more satisfaction and joy in my life. Okay. I am I actually might start implementing this because uh, right now I do journal every morning. Uh, it's more like a goal setting journal, right? And part of this, I do write three things that I'm grateful for. But what I found out is that maybe due to the fact that it's only three, sometimes I get very repetitive. So I don't really, let's say, think about that too much. So um, yeah, I'll try doing the 20 and uh, see what happens. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a very good tip. Um, so James, if we if we discuss a bit uh, about your your programs, right? Um, so if I inform myself correctly, you have two different alcohol-free programs. So the thirty-day challenge and the um, Project Ninety. Is that correct? Yeah, thirty-day no alcohol challenge is more of a do-it-yourself thirty days without alcohol, where I'll send you a video a day for thirty days. You go into a closed Facebook group to get a little bit of support from other members. I'll help you to be alcohol free for 30 days. But then I have a program which is called Project 90, and that is 90 days alcohol free. And in many cases, that can extend to a year where we really support entrepreneurs, executives, working professionals, folks definitely over the age of 30, mm -hmm. mostly in their uh, 40s and 50s. Um, people who are really wanting to stop drinking entirely or they're wanting to get long-term power over their drinking habits. And so in that 90-day process, we'll expose them to a like-minded community of other working professionals, other middle-aged people, um, successful people who just haven't been able to break the habit of drinking. Because a lot of people who come to me and come to our programs and processes have successfully stopped drinking alcohol for a time, but yeah. then they return to the very same level of drinking that actually yeah. made them reach out to me in the first place. So there is a pattern of highly successful people in business who are just stuck with their drinking habits. They try to stop, they stop for a few weeks or a month, but then they return to the same level of drinking. And that's very common. Mm-hmm. And the same tactics that they use to get them 30 days alcohol-free, which mostly is willpower and motivation and white-knuckling, it does not work over many months or over many years. I've done a lot of science to suggest that one must really get to at least 90 consecutive days alcohol-free in order to completely rewire the mindset around alcohol 
So then yeah. living an alcohol-free lifestyle, whether that's complete abstinence or whether it's just having a drink on occasion becomes very workable and manageable. So the 90-day process really is helping folks rewire their mindset around alcohol, um, actionable tools, what to drink instead, how to socialize and have fun without alcohol, how to handle clients without alcohol, how to celebrate without alcohol, how to deal with stress and anxiety without alcohol. And it's really an intensive 90-day process, which at the end of it, people come out of it having made more money, slept mm -hmm. better, looked better, less irritability, less fogginess, more clarity, more energy, more focus, more joy. People cross off items on their bucket list. Uh, they remove procrastination. They get into forward movement. They lose weight. They sleep better. Yeah. Just a warning, you do get better looking when you stop drinking alcohol as well because the toxins leave your skin and your skin just starts to return to its natural state. Yeah. People start complimenting you. go, wow, you look amazing. You've been working out. But really all you've been doing is just stopping ingesting all of these toxins from the attractively packaged poison that we <laughs> yeah. call alcohol. <laughs> True. That's a very good bonus point, I would say. Yeah, uh, and um, yeah, I definitely agree with what you said because uh, uh, when I was still drinking, because uh, I was also working in a in a corporate job, uh, so I had to work quite a lot. So I had a lot of these periods when I would stop drinking for like one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, but then I was I would always come back to drinking. So the inconsistency was one of my main issues that I had with drinking. And then as soon as I started again, I went completely back to where I started uh, before the actual alcohol-free day challenge. So besides the inconsistency that you see in your clients, what would you say are is maybe like the, the key one or two things they're struggling with? when they come to you and they seek out for help? Is it that, I don't know, they're afraid to socialize with others without alcohol or they don't know how to manage the stress? What is like the, the biggest pain point for them? Most people are scared about what people will think when they share that they're not drinking. Okay. They have this social anxiety that people are going to think that they're an alcoholic or they're going to judge them or people are going to chastise them, make fun of them or just keep encouraging them to drink. Many people also are so used to holding something in their hand, a drink in their hand when they're at a social function, they don't know what to do when they're not yeah. holding something. And this is born out of, you know, in many cases, decades of doing exactly the same thing. It's for decades, you've just been conditioned to drink at a party, to drink at a social event, to drink at a restaurant. And so breaking that conditioning and creating new habits and new processes and new conditioning without the alcohol becomes quite emotionally challenging for many folks. So that's a big one. And then breaking the habit of drinking at the end of the day, like a lot of people mistakenly believe that drinking at the end of the day reduces stress and anxiety because they're driving home from work or they've had a long day at work and they just want to Oh, I just want to have a drink and just relax. Yeah. Oh. But it's it's a it's a false truth. It's an illusion. It creates this illusionary idea that drinking relaxes you. You mm -hmm. think it does, but then the alcohol goes to work in your body. The toxins go to work. The liver now has to go to work to break down the toxins. And so it's not relaxing. It's working. Mm-hmm. So 
a lot of folks, the big mental barrier is how am I going to have fun without alcohol? Am I going to have to retreat from society? Mm -hmm. And the answer is no, you run towards social engagements and you just have the most fun being alcohol free. And we coach people through that and how to do it. Mm -hmm. And then the other mental challenge is, well, I've been believing that alcohol relaxes me. How am I going to relax if not for alcohol? How do I do that? And then we walk them through processes on how to do that. Okay. That's very interesting. Yeah. So it's like a very holistic approach to not just changing this one little thing called reducing alcohol, but actually completely changing your lifestyle and how you approach approach life. Um, so, okay, very, very good. Um, so, of course, as I mentioned in the beginning in your introduction, you, you're you also the creator of the blue light blocking glasses, Swannies. Um, so what would be your top tips to optimize your sleep besides, of course, uh, cutting completely alcohol and I assume wearing the glasses before going to bed? Yeah, so the biggest culprit to a poor night's sleep, in my opinion, is exposure to artificial light at night. Now, at nighttime, we are exposed to the bathroom light, the kitchen light, the bedroom light, the reading light, the microwave light, the refrigerator light, not to mention the cell phone light, the TV screen light, the iPad light. Mm -hmm. People think that it's just screens from cell phones and TV screens that is the damaging light. No, it's also the bathroom light, the kitchen light, the microwave light, the McDonald's golden arches lights that you see as you're driving down the highway, the street lights, the traffic lights. There's so much artificial light at night and it is destroying our melatonin production, which destroys our sleep. Okay. So what is the best thing to do? Well, actually, first of all, let me let me backtrack. Let me just explain why that light destroys our melatonin production. Because that artificial light at night stimulates our pituitary and pineal glands, which suppresses our melatonin release. Okay. What's actually happening, what's actually happening when we're exposing ourselves to artificial light at night is that we are tricking our body and brain into believing that it's still daytime. And so our body does not release as much melatonin as it ordinarily might naturally release because it still thinks it's daytime. Mm -hmm. Only when the body and the brain believes that it is nighttime, will it release sufficient melatonin to be able to give us optimal sleep. So the best thing to do for a best night's sleep is literally to live your life by candlelight. It's to sit in the dark light some candles, gasoline lantern, and live your life by candlelight. Now, it's 2023. No one's really going to do that, right? Yeah. Very few people are going to do that. Most people in the modern world, we have a bathroom light, a kitchen light, microwave light, cell phone light, television screen light, iPad screen light, and so forth. And we don't want to live our life without electricity and without artificial light. No. So if we're not going to sit in the dark and live our life by candlelight, what do we do? Well, the next best thing is to wear a pair of quality orange lensed blue light blocking glasses because the orange lens blocks that artificial blue light. The blue can't get through. Okay. With an orange lensed blue light blocking glasses, 
or I'm sorry, with a pair of orange lens blue light blocking glasses, the blue don't get through. So you can now watch your cell phone, watch your TV screen, expose yourself to the bathroom light, kitchen light, living room light while wearing a pair of orange lens blue light blocking glasses. And that artificial blue light that destroys our melatonin release doesn't get through. Then ultimately at the end of the night, we can crawl into bed, turn off the light and then remove the orange lens blue light blocking glasses. And we will naturally start to fall asleep quicker. We will sleep deeper and ultimately we'll wake up in the morning feeling refreshed as opposed to most people in the modern world who don't block that artificial blue light at night, who have trouble falling asleep, toss and turn in the night and wake up in the morning, tired, lethargic, irritable, foggy, and now have to start drinking sugary drinks and eating sugary foods to give them an energy yeah. boost throughout the day. Yeah. And then it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy of this negative spiral when you need more coffee, more coffee, and then uh, in the evening you need alcohol to sleep. So it's kind of like a, a circle of negative habits. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I would say each year I grow older, the more I realize the importance of sleep. And uh, I was actually just watching the, the podcast with uh, Andrew Huberman, who was discussing uh, the effects of alcohol and sleep. And it's like even now scientifically proven that the one to two glasses before sleep of, I don't know, red wine completely, completely destroys your sleep, um, the REM sleep, right? So it's quite scary for me to think about all these days back in the days when I used to drink. Like, uh, yeah, my sleep was really, really bad. Um, James, uh, I mean, obviously you have a lot of experience in life uh, with um, alcohol, with business, relationships. Um, but if you would say, is there anything right now in this moment that still presents to you like a big challenge in life or a bit struggle? Or um, you feel like you're dealing with everything on a quite uh, easy way, let's say? No, I still find many relationships challenging. I find myself too easily irritable, in my opinion. Okay. And a lot of that comes back to childhood trauma, which we all have to varying degrees. So I still find myself getting easily agitated and irritable at seemingly minor and trivial things. And so that's my challenge you know to overcome that instead of reacting in the moment how do i respond instead because reacting is allowing emotions to get the better of you and responding is taking a pause noticing that you're feeling these emotions and then responding right it's it's responding with thought as opposed to reacting without thought yeah so for me overcoming that requires uh, ongoing personal development. I have a coach who I speak with once a week and we talk about these things. Obviously the daily 20 gratitude really helps and supports me, but I I'm definitely finding that that's still the one thing that, uh, kind of nags at me and, and candidly, or to be frank, it's not that bad, really. It's just, you know, I was walking down the street the other day and a motorcycle 
guy turned on his motorcycle and started revving it up and it's like Arr! and i was oh i just got so irritated by that sound <laughs> or then it's a monday and i'm doing some zoom calls with staff and then the lawnmower guy comes over and starts you know starting the lawnmower and making <laughs> obscene amounts of noise and under my breath i'm just saying obscenities you know and and, and things like that so it's not like i'm yelling at people uh, I'm not, it's not even that I'm getting irritated at people. I'm just getting irritated by situations. And you might hear me say that and go, well, that's understandable that those things are annoying too. And they are, Yeah. but I really, I want to do better at how I handle those kind of situations. I want to get to a point where someone starts a motorcycle and revs it up and drives it at an obscene speed and terrible noise down the street or a lawnmower man comes over and makes obscene amounts of noise and I just observe it and go, oh, isn't that interesting? As opposed to now where I'm like, mother. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting you mentioned, yeah. Um, and yeah, of course, I, I could say it's a very human thing to be annoyed by these things, but um, yeah, it would it would be nice to be in in, in, in that place to, to not be irritated but by these small things we could say right um but um, one thing that you mentioned before uh is something that i can like relate to it a lot uh it's the childhood trauma right so um like even a couple of years ago i was always thinking oh i have zero childhood trauma my childhood was perfect and uh nothing in my life was like fucked but then talking with a lot of like coaches and therapists i realized that wow like i think almost everyone has childhood trauma right um you think that this is something that um we deal with throughout our whole life or you think that there can be a point where you like are completely um done with kind of like going and managing through this trauma what was your experience so far I know very few people who feel they've arrived okay, or they've resolved everything. Maybe I don't know any, I mean, I know, I know many people who seemingly are very happy and very calm and have done a lot of work and they seem to have resolved a lot of trauma, but I suspect there's still something going on. So I don't think there's ever a point where I'll feel, wow, I've healed everything. I'm good to go. I think it's just always a process. And it's like the analogy, you know, you climb a mountain, you reach the peak and then you look over the horizon and you just see there are more mountains to climb and more peaks to reach. So I don't think we ever arrive. I think we're always learning. We're always growing. And here's the thing. We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. You know, there's things, there are certain things that we know we don't know, but then there are so many things that we don't know we don't even know. Yeah, that's scary. So how can you say, oh, yeah, I've solved everything. I'm good. I've resolved all of my childhood trauma. It just, I don't know. It seems unrealistic to me. And anecdotally, I'm still working through things and I'm, you know, approaching 50 years old now. I've been doing a lot of personal development for, you know, probably a good 12 years, 12, 13 years. I don't think, I think I'm only scratching the surface, you know. <laughs> and some people, you know, ignorance is bliss. You know, they don't want to go there and they just want to get on with life. Whereas I'm, t I tend to want to find out why I've, I've got an itch 
and I want to go and scratch it and I want to try and get rid of the itch, you know, but a lot of people are walking around with like a rose thorn in their side. There's the pain, right? And they're just, they're not willing to go there and pull the thorn out. And so they carry this pain around with them their entire life. Whereas I'm more willing to go there and I know that pulling the thorn out is going to hurt yeah. initially, mm -hmm. but then afterwards I'm going to be all right. So that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm, I'm kind of going there and, and plucking out the rose thorns, knowing that it's going to sting rather than just carrying it around with me my entire life. Okay. Very good. Uh, you just mentioned that you're uh, slowly approaching fifties, uh, right? Uh, but as I can see, you're like still super, super energetic. Uh, I would say you're growing older in a very uh, good way. Um, what would you say? It's like the best thing about growing older. The best thing about growing older is the wisdom that you have acquired over many years. And now you have a different perspective and you can look back on accomplishments or failures or past relationships. And that can now guide you in a much better, more efficient way moving forward from there. So it's the wisdom that comes from age. The other thing as I've realized as I've got older and I have had more financial success or relationship success or my health is improving, mm -hmm. um, I start to feel satisfaction. In my younger years, I was chasing happiness mm -hmm. and I was getting these little bouts of it and spurts of it from these seemingly hedonistic events, right? Or achievements. Yeah. And they were very short and fast and then they were over. And then I was back to kind of not appreciating things again and like trying to chase something to get a dopamine release. Yeah. Whereas now in later years, as you kind of move towards, or as I move towards 50, I'm, I'm realizing that I don't really want to chase happiness. I just want to feel satisfied. Okay. And when there's a, it's a great feeling to feel satisfied. It's kind of like, I feel satisfied. I'm good. Like I'm feeling my, my life is very pleasant. And some people may say, oh, I don't want a pleasant life. I don't want a satisfied life. I want an amazing life. Well, <laughs> the thing is my life is amazing because I'm feeling pleasant mm -hmm. and satisfied. Right. It's like, it's like, you know, my stop drinking business is an example of that. I started that business in 2015. I started helping people in 2015. Mm -hmm. It took seven years, seven years for that business to crack seven figures, to be mm -hmm. a, a million dollar business, right? It took seven years. Yeah. And now it is flying. I mean, it's, I, I would be, I'd be shocked if we didn't get to eight figures, like a $10 million revenue business within 24 months because oh. it's just on a trajectory that's just flying. Right. But I got to tell you, like, even though for the first six years, I was saying the F word a lot and, oh, this is tough and I want to give up. I'm so dissatisfied. I don't want to be in this business anymore. It's so hard convincing people to stop drinking and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Now that it's having immense success comparative to the previous six years, I just feel a deep level of satisfaction mm -hmm. and 
joy because of the struggle. You know, it's, I'm happy that it kind of was like a little bit of spurts of growth along the way. And now it's seemingly going into the hockey stick. Yeah. You know, right. as opposed to if I had just started this business and came out of the gate a million miles an hour. Yeah. Maybe I wouldn't appreciate it as much, you know? So I think that's what I mean. It's kind of like the satisfaction of a life spent trying to build something and it taking some time and having some downs and some ups, but then getting the reward at the end of it. That's satisfying. Okay. Very good. It's a very good perspective. And uh, I do agree with you. I think uh, the things that come easy to me, I don't appreciate them, but all the struggles I had to put in and for example, stopping drinking alcohol was one of them uh, is something that I, I can then appreciate and, and value uh, on a much higher basis. So uh, no, really, really good. Uh, James, yeah, we're slowly coming to the end of the podcast. So I have actually one last question for you. And uh, yeah, I'm currently 28 years old. So my last question would be, what would be your advice to your younger 28-year-old self? My advice to my younger 28-year-old self yeah. would be, don't chase things and want or need the result so quickly. Okay. Don't go slowly, but don't go so fast that you don't enjoy the process. There's no point running around like a headless chicken saying, I've got to do this. I need to do this. I need to go quicker, faster. Don't go slowly, but you don't need to go at such a rapid rate that you end up making mistakes or you become stressed and anxious by it. Mm-hmm. So life is short, so get a wriggle on, but don't be running around like a maniac trying to chase shiny new objects all the time, right? The the, the hare and the tortoise, yeah, hare races off miles ahead but conks out and the tortoise just goes really slowly and ends up winning. Man, the tortoise, tortoise is underrated, I got to tell you. I think somewhere in between a combination of the hare and the, com- and the tortoise would be a great middle ground. Mm, okay. Yeah, that hits hard because uh, I would say one of my worst qualities is that I'm super impatient. But that sometimes when I'm impatient with my actions is actually a benefit. But when I'm impatient with the results, it can be it, it can give me a lot of dissatisfaction, um, which is definitely not a pleasant thing. So um, I'll, I'll definitely keep that in mind. So thank you very much for for that advice. Perfect. Um, James, thank you so much for, for uh, being here. And uh, thank you so much initially for just doing what you do. Because uh, as I also mentioned to you um, via the message that I wrote to you before, um, I think the first time I found about you was, was eight years ago. So you also played a, played a crucial part um, in me stopping drinking alcohol and showing me how to actually live a fulfilled, alcohol-free lifestyle. So I really appreciate uh, in uh, what you do. And um, secondly, yeah, really big thanks for taking the time uh, to speaking with me today in this podcast. Um, and uh, looking forward to potentially collaborating with you in the, in the future as well. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it.
All right. All the best. Take care and uh, speak to you very soon.